Welcome to the Faith Community Church Podcast, a ministry of Faith Community Church in South Boston, Virginia. We're glad you can join us as interim pastor Kyle Julius shares a weekly message to encourage you to deepen your faith in Jesus Christ. Here's Pastor Kyle. If you have your Bible, I invite you to meet me in the book of Ephesians. We're going to go ahead and continue our study together this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to be looking at uh, verses 22 through 33. I trust that I'm prayed for and my sermon prep is prayed for through the week by some. And so I just uh, pray that you'd pray an extra prayer for me now as I preach on marriage and God's design for it. I'm no expert in marriage, but... I am acquainted and I know the gospel of Jesus and I know the grace of Jesus and I know what God's word says about it. And so I just intend to preach God's word as I always do this morning. So if you're in verse 22, read along with me if you will. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of the Lord, and would you say a brief prayer with me? Father, I pray that in this time that you would speak and that we would simply hear that you would bring humility not only to the hearers, but for me, the deliverer of your word. I pray that you would clothe me in the humility of Jesus. I pray that you would um, release me from fear of man. And I just pray, Lord, uh, that we would be built by your word. We would be shaped by your word as husband, as wife, as those who are single, as those who are widowed. May we see ultimately Jesus exalted in these verses this morning. We love you, and we thank you for all that you're doing. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One theologian priest once defined marriage as that blessed arrangement, that dream within a dream. The theologian priest, of course, was none other than the impressive clergyman from the 1987 adventure comedy film Prince's Bride. I promised my wife I would not reenact that scene And for those who are laughing, know what I'm talking about. For those who are not, they have no idea what I'm talking about. So I'm just going to go ahead and move on from that illustration. So 
while the definition of a marriage is being that dream within a dream or that blessed arrangement, I think the closest description, I think it's while it's funny, it's the closest description we have uh, to what the Apostle Paul refers to in our passage this morning as a profound mystery. That brings comfort for me knowing that the Bible talks of marriage as a profound mystery because there are some days in my year and a half, short, short marriage, that I have also thought the same. This is quite a profound mystery indeed. So in preparation of this message, I googled, what is the purpose of marriage? And what is marriage? Uh, Not because I thought Google had all the answers, I just wanted to get some insight into what people are saying about it. And uh, let's just say, I I think it's best we stick with the Princess Bride and the Apostle Paul. (laughs) on this one, that dream within a dream, and that profound mystery. But friends, marriage is not a mystery in the sense that Scripture is unclear about its purpose. In fact, it couldn't be more clear. And while the Apostle Paul declares this mystery, he is clear on the meaning and the intended purpose of marriage. And here is the meaning, or the intended purpose of marriage, in one sentence. Marriage is intended to mirror the gospel. Marriage is intended to mirror the gospel. And our text this morning reveals two distinct roles given in marriage that function to mirror the gospel. In order for this profound mystery to to reflect what it was intended to reflect initially, There are two distinct roles given. In verses 22 through 24, we see that the wife is given the role of the church in order to mirror the gospel. And we see in verses 25 through 33 that the husband is given the role of Christ in order to mirror the gospel. So there are the two distinct roles uh, that we're going to look at this morning uh, in helping us understand the mystery of marriage that Paul talks about here in these verses. If you look with me in verses 22 through 24, let's go ahead and start with the wife's role of the church to mirror the gospel. Paul uh, begins addressing wives in verse 22, and on a pretty bold note that only the unmarried apostle Paul could start with, uh, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, I want to make a few observations about this exhortation's this exhortation for wives to submit to their own husbands so that there's no confusion on what the nature of this submission is and the extent of what the submission to the wife's own husband is. First, I think it's helpful for just get right out the gate uh, that submission is not uh, just a woman thing or a wife thing, but it is a Christian thing. Submission is the default of every person who is in Jesus. And the reason why I know this is because just a verse earlier in verse 22, or verse 21, Paul says he caps off last week's sermon with the charge to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So just right from the beginning, just so in case, because the the exhortation that Paul is giving for wives to submit to their husbands usually strikes a chord, not only in culture. If I were to give this address at some secular university, I'd probably have certain food items thrown at me now, certain words thrown at me now. But the problem is, is that sometimes we read this verse 22 and we think that this is solely uh, for the wife and we forget that every believer is called to submit not only to the lordship of Jesus, but to one another within the body of Jesus. 
And so it's important that we recognize that. In uh, Peter's first epistle to the church, in 1 Peter 5.21, he actually exhorts those who are younger to be in submission to the elders. There are uh, verses and verses and verses in the Scriptures, in the New Testament, both old and new, that call us to be submissive. And as the church is this new society, this new community, this covenant community who are in Christ, that is our default position. That is how we ought to be towards one another. So when Paul says, wives, submit to your own husbands, it is not necessarily, hey, wives uh, or women, listen up. It's wives, carry over into your marriage what you've already been called to do towards one another in the church. Uh, the second observation we have to make about this submission is, um, is, is we have to look at two things that is worth looking at in verse 22. And the first is, this is a wife exhortation, and this is not a woman exhortation. In other words, Paul is not saying women all of you in the church, be submissive to every man in the church. This is a specific call to wives, to those who have been gifted and assigned the role of the church. So Paul is not saying all the men in the church are supposed to have the loudest voices, are supposed to have uh, the first say and the final say, but Paul is making, a, he is addressing a certain group of women in the church, and it is those who are married and who are in the covenant of marriage. So that's just one other thing I want to point out here in verse 22. And the second thing that I want to point out is that being a wife does not mean subjection to any man. So although Paul is calling for wives to be submit, in submission to their own husbands, we have to recognize here that Paul says, wives, submit to your own husbands. In other words, wives, you do not have to follow orders from somebody else's husband in the church. This is not, I mean, it would be a little awkward if I went up to any one of your guys' wives, men, and said, hey, um, do this. I would hope you'd knock some brotherly love into me uh, if that were the case. This is a charge to specific women who are in a covenant relationship with specific men. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And then Paul moves from the what, wives submit, to the why. If you look at verses 23 through 24, Paul writes, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So the question here is, is why should wives be in, or why are wives given and gifted the assignment of the posture of submission primarily within the covenant marriage? Is it, do, is it because women are less superior than men? Is it because of a cultural norm that culture has decided men are more capable or competent within the, the covenant of marriage that the women have to be, or the wives have to be submission, in submission to the husband. Why is it that Paul says that wives should submit to their husband? Paul makes it clear in verses 23 through 24, it is purely a theological reason why women are given this role. It is not because women are made less in the image of God, or they are less competent. I've met, women, I've met more women who are more competent than most men that I've met. 
It is not because they are uh, inferior. It is not because uh, they are less than. It is purely theological. Look at verses 23 through 24. The as, right, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. And in verse 22, now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Paul is establishing a theological ground here for the way that our marriages ought to be ordered, and he's not establishing it on a cultural one. He's not establishing it on a war of the sexes here. It is purely how God has ordered and designed this institution, this beautiful, wonderful, profound mystery. It is always based on theological reasons. When we see even women's roles in teaching offices in the church in 1 Timothy, it is based on a theological uh, reason. In marriage here, it is all based on theology. Any of the gender role distinctions in scripture, there is a theological basis for it. It is because God has designed marriage in such a way as to reflect himself. And the woman in marriage, the wife, role of submission is because she is supposed to reflect the church. The, the wife is reflecting this whole submission of the body of Jesus. That, I mean, going back to verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, you have a unique role to be a model not only to your husband and what it looks like to be submissive under the lordship of Jesus, but also to other believers next to you. So I, 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 the reason why I wanted to clear that up right from the beginning is because we have to, uh, this, this verse, these passages have been so misused and abused and distorted, and it, and, it, and it requires a little bit of careful analysis here for us to understand what Paul is saying. It's not because I'm trying to make an excuse for what the Word of God is saying right now, because I'm... Clearly, wives submit to your own husbands, but we do have to understand that, it is, that this is a theological issue and it is not a cultural one. If we're going to uphold marriage and the gender roles within marriage, if we're going to celebrate it, if we're going to explain it, if we're going to offer it as an alternative to culture, we better, we better know that it is rooted in the goodness and the character and the person and nature of God, just like everything else in Ephesians has been rooted in. Our unity is always uh, grounded in the unity of God. Our salvation is grounded in the trinity of who God is. Everything in Ephesians so far has been what? Your salvation has been of God. Your creation as a new, as a new community has been in God. Your new life has been reflective of God. So therefore, our marriages also are ordered to reflect God. And so, the submission picture here is a theological one, and we know this because it's it is in the text in verses 23 through 24, as the woman is supposed to reflect and image the church. And here's how else I know that the submission role for the wife. You guys are probably thinking right now, like, well, what does it look like to to submit to my husband? What was that? I need something practical here. Don't worry, I'm going to get to that. But here's another. Where's one thing to note here on why the submission role? It's, it's not any less glorious. It's not any less, it's not demeaning. It is, it is a beautiful picture, and here's how I know this. One, the theology here in verses 23 through 24, and second, because Jesus, the co-eternal and co-equal second person of the Trinity, unmatched in authority and majesty, submitted to his Father's will during his earthly ministry. And Jesus' submission did not make him any less God. 
Just in the same way, wives, your submission to your husbands does not make you any less valuable or any less useful or any less uh, worth that you have. Right? So, this, so we tend to think of submission as second, but as believers, as those who are grounded in the theology of the triune God, we have to understand that God has assigned these roles not based on worth, not based on anything like that, but solely based on how he wants to image himself in us. And Jesus is that model. So wives, as you submit to your own husbands in everything, don't think of it as I've got the second class role in the marriage because you have the role of modeling Jesus to your husband and to the rest of the church body in what submitting to his lordship, his love, his grace, his goodness, his kindness looks like. That is a high calling. That is a Christian calling. That is a calling that each and every single one of us has. And according to Paul, wives, you guys are leading in that calling. The way you lead the body within your marriage is by submitting to your own husbands, Paul says in verse 24, in everything. We have to talk about what that means for everything, too. Is this submission without exception? Paul says, submit to your husbands in everything. So uh, are there no exceptions to that submission? Uh, if a husband is, is abusing physically or mentally or verbally the wife, is it our job as Christians whose default is to submit to then go to this verse and say, submit in everything to your husband? Does that uh, then give us the right as the body to not look after the wife who's being abused and misused and dominated and bullied? And I would argue from this text, absolutely not. In order to understand Paul's exhortation to wives to submit to their husbands and everything, again, we have to look at the theological content and the context and image that Paul is giving us. The context in which Paul is saying, wives, submit to your husbands in everything, is the imagery of Jesus in relationship to his church. Right? So in other words, the church can submit to Jesus. Here's the thing. The church, we as God's people, as Jesus's uh, redeemed ones, we can submit to Jesus in everything because in everything, Jesus is always good. Jesus is always kind. Jesus is always looking at and he's for our good. We read time and time again in the New Testament that Jesus is for our joy. He's for our peace. He's for our security. He's for our um, flourishing. He is for us being with him ultimately uh, and in knowing him as good shepherd, as friend, as savior, as brother, as Lord. And so when Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands in everything, as Christ does the church, that imagery of Christ submitting, uh, the church submitting to Christ is supposed to be, it's assumed here in that call for wives submit to your husbands and everything. In other words, Paul just assumes that what he's about to address to the husbands, the husbands are doing in the marriage. And so it's easy for him to actually say, wives, submit to your husbands and everything, because in everything they should be reflecting and modeling Jesus as he leads and loves and serves his church. So when Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands in everything, we have to understand that also is rooted in a theological context here. It's rooted in the person of Jesus. So Paul is not advocating for the church to just cover up abuse within marriages. 
It is the most heartbreaking thing to hear about churches, elders of churches, pastors of churches who have wives come to them, who are being physically, mentally, emotionally abused, and then the elders run to this passage and say, submit to your husbands and everything. I would probably recommend that elder board and that pastor go back to seminary to reread the Bible and understand what Paul is saying here. And if you're a husband that have, has used this verse to, 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 to impose your way on your wife, then the call is for repentance and to seek the grace of Jesus and to sit down with a believer who knows how to read the Bible and help them to read that right and maybe get some counseling. If you're a husband who runs to this verse, or if you know a husband who runs to this verse and acts the way you act, they act because wives are supposed to submit in everything, then you have to be able to sit there and point out and check yourself and say, am I leading in everything the way Jesus leads his church in everything? And this also means if there's a wife that you know who her life is in danger, or her husband's calling her to sin, then the call is not to have them remain, but the call is to be the hands and feet of Jesus and actually pull out and, and be the body of Jesus. Okay, so we've talked about what submission is, what submission is not, what it means to submit to your own husbands and everything. Uh, so how does this all flesh out in our lives? Okay, so if wives are supposed to submit to their own husbands... How does that play out? Well, the answer is simple. I have no idea. <laughs> I don't. I, ha I have no idea what it looks like for uh, you, wife, to submit to your own husband in your own marriage. Because some days I don't even know what it looks like in my own marriage for my wife to submit to me in my own marriage. And the text doesn't really give us a five-step list on, all it says is wives submit to your own husbands, and Paul gives us absolutely nothing on a practicality what that looks like. He could be just assuming that because you submit to Christ, you know what kind of uh, things to submit to, you know what kind of thing, you're already following, and you're already under headship. So, so with that in mind, a lot of the times, uh, and then this guy, I know more about the leading aspect than I do know about the submitting aspect. You'd have to talk to my wife on what it looks like to submit to me in our marriage um, as she submits to Jesus. Uh, but I do know a lot of my own leadership requires me looking constantly and just practicing uh, submission under Christ and to look to Jesus on how to do this. Uh, not all one marriage is one size, not all submission is one size fits all. So what it looks like for my wife to submit to me might not look the same on what it looks like for you to submit to your own husband's. Because every marriage is different. Every dynamic is different. And scripture here in these verses don't give us a play-by-play. It does tell us what this submission looks like, and a lot of that's based on husbands. Husbands, I haven't forgot about you. I'm getting to us next. Don't worry. There's a lot more on husbands here than there is wives. So that's why I have less for you wives this morning, other than submit as Christ submits the church. And your model is to be um, the role model of submission to Jesus in your marriages to husbands. Now, again, what that looks like, it depends. It's a case-by-case -case basis. I cannot tell you uh, what you ought to be doing, what you ought not to be doing in submission to your husband. But I do know whatever your relationship with Jesus looks like, whatever that submission, however the church submits to Jesus, it should be 
overflowing into your marriage. In other words, your submission should just be a reflection of your submission to Christ as Lord. Paul then moves on in verse 25 to men and describes a second role given in marriage that functions to mirror the gospel. And that is husband is given the husband is given the role of Christ in order to mirror the gospel. Okay, this is where I can get a little bit more comfortable because, you know, although I haven't been a husband long, you know, this kind of speaks I, out of experience here plus, you know, what Paul is saying. So in verses 25 through 27, Paul writes, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So just as the model and picture of submission for wives is the church, so husbands, our model for loving and leading our wives is Jesus. It's loving our wives the way Jesus loves his bride. And that's a weighty call. That is a weighty call that requires all of our strength. It requires all of our prayer. And it requires all of the grace of Jesus and all of the communion of saints. You know, my marriage, my year and a half marriage, my young marriage is not built on only me. It's been built on other pastors and men that I talk to every single day. It's funny, when I got married, uh, my mentor and I had a joke about how as soon as he hands me off to my wife, then I'm going to stop calling him at 10 o'clock at night every single day trying to help, have him help me fix my problems. And it only, actually, I just called him more when I got married. It was like, it didn't, it didn't work out the way that we thought it was going to work out. It's not that, you know, I just called him more and more. And so we have to understand that the call to love uh, husbands, the call to love your wives as Christ loved the church, also requires the church. This is why I'm convinced it's almost nearly impossible for a man and a husband to live out the call to love his wife as Christ loves the church and not be a part of the church. How can you fulfill a call to love as Christ loved a group of people and also not be part of the group of people? And also not love a group of people that you've been called to love. Just as submission is a Christian thing, so loving other Christians, as Christ loved the church, is also a Christian thing. It's not restricted to just husbands. We read in chapter 5, verse 1, uh, that we should walk in love as Christ loved and gave himself up for us. And so husbands, the, one of the first ways that you can love your wife as Christ loved the church is make sure you're in church. Make sure your wife is in church. Make sure your family is in church and around uh, other believers and in the communion of saints. Don't punt that off as secondary or, or, or just, we're going to get there when we can. Our goal in marriage, husbands, is to not get something out of, out of our wives, but to give ourselves up for our wives. Right? Paul says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And he describes that love by saying, and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. 
And this gets really practical. Again, we've already just drive by here. Uh, one of the best ways you can love your wife is Christ loved the church, is get them to church, to get them in with the communion of saints, to be around all of the people of God, because you need help just as much as she needs help and submission to you, and you need other men and other godly people, uh, whether married or not married, to pour into you and to point you to the scriptures and to point you to Jesus so then you can go back and do the same. And then Paul, in verse 26, describes the purpose of Jesus giving himself up. So what is your purpose, husbands? All right, what is our purpose uh, as those who have been assigned the role of Jesus uh, in giving ourselves up for our wives? Well, in verse 26, Paul says that Jesus gave himself up for his bride, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. The water here uh, could be in reference to the Holy Spirit, as in Titus 3.5, but most likely Paul has in mind the ministry uh, that Jesus outlined in John 15.3, when uh, Jesus looked at his disciples and said, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Husbands, are we imitating the great high priest by being high priests in our own home? Are we speaking the word of God to our wives? Are we pointing our wives to the Word of God? Are we washing them in the water of Sorry, the Word? Did you say that again? I knew that was going to happen one Sunday. <laughs> I don't even, where do you even go from there? I mean,. Yeah. Siri wants me to keep preaching. So, Are we speaking and referencing or texting or writing down on a napkin, writing little notes? Are we writing scripture? Look, uh, to, wash your, to, to, to have the ministry of the word of God in your own homes, husbands, is your responsibility and your call as Jesus also washes and cleanses and points us to what he has said, his word, right? Uh, and you don't need to preach a sermon, by the way, every Sunday. Believe me, I've tried. Uh, you know, I'm not, you don't have to bring up a pulpit in your living room and have like sermon hour in your house uh, to be functioning in the role of the ministry of the word, right? It could be something simple uh, as, again, text. Do you, do you text scripture? Uh, do, you, do you just talk about Scripture? Better yet, are you yourself in Scripture? Husbands, how often do you sit in the Word of God and let your heart wash and be marinated in the truths of the Gospel? Because if you don't do that, right, Jesus who always abided in His Father's Word, Jesus who always was singing, meditating, and looking upon the Word of God, in fact, in His own temptation in the wilderness, He was just spitting out Scripture constantly. Right? And so the best way, so husbands, are we primarily concerned with our own hearts being washed in the word? And then so in that way, we can then give it to our wives and, and prepare them to be with Jesus ultimately. That, that's the ministry of Jesus to his bride, is to prepare his bride to be with him. And so if our love and our leadership and our role in marriage is Jesus, that means your role in marriage is to get your wife ready for Jesus. 
so, so, but, but, but so, so many husbands uh, just want their wife to be what they want them to be or to give them something, to fulfill something, to kind of to, to cover up some insecurity that we carry around and make up for all this stuff and to, and to kind of, or just to, to, to be a, a task uh, checker offer, right? When our job as husbands is to not get and take and take and get, but it's to give, it's to pour out. And it's ultimately, if you are a believer, it is to get your wife ready for Jesus. It is to make sure that one day when your wife goes to the throne and it gets presented as a bride that she is spotless and blameless. And look, Jesus, even if you abdicate this responsibility, Jesus is going to take care of it. But don't come to the judgment day and Jesus is like, what have you done with what I have given you? Spend more time Spend more time trying to get your wife ready for the king, for her savior. Because husbands, the marriage isn't about us. It is not about us. It is not about what our wives can do for us. It is about how we can give ourselves up for our wives. Um, as far as being creative with the scriptures, uh, Anna and I do this thing where, uh, and again, the sermons don't work. She has to hear me preach every Sunday. And, uh, she, you know, surprisingly, she doesn't want to hear me Monday through Friday. So, it, you know, and, and it doesn't, and, and by the way, do not try to set up a Bible reading time schedule for your wife either, because that doesn't work. Um, everybody's going to be a little different than that. Uh, but Anna and I do this thing together. Again, you can be creative about this. We have a, we have a blackboard in our kitchen, and it's supposed to be a menu for all the things that you know, are going to be cooked that week, and we don't ever use it for that. So I've decided, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a verse of the week up. Any verse. And uh, so we've played this game, and it's, it's kind of been interesting so far, where I'm, I'll tell her, hon, just pick a book of the Bible and a verse, and uh, that'll be the verse of the week. And for some reason, she gravitates to the minor prophets and, like, some of the stuff in Jeremiah. And so for about two weeks, uh, we had Ezra 7.5, sitting up in our kitchen, which reads, Son of Abishua, son of Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the chief priest. <laughs> that was the verse that sat in our kitchen for about two weeks. And, and now it's like Amos 1-7 about the fire hitting the walls of Gaza and God smiting them or something like that. So I'm picking next week's first because <laughs> it's just getting a little weird. But the thing is, like this, this, makes, this, this incorporates the word of God into our, our weekly rhythms. Right? We have this little game where she picks funny verses, but it's all of the Word of God, and we're interacting with the Word of God, and guess what? Uh, that is one little tiny way that I can lead in the ministry of the Word in my own home. So you don't need to be a preacher to lead in the ministry of the Word in your own home. You just need to be a disciple of Jesus. And prepare your bride for the thing that your Savior is also preparing her for. Verses 25 through 27, uh, friends, could be summed up with this. Our role as husbands is to look at Jesus and how he is preparing his bride for himself and in turn go and prepare our brides for Jesus through ministering the word and watching after the good of her soul. That is our job.
And how that looks in your marriage and in my marriage is going to look differently. You guys might not have Ezra 7.5 or Amos 1.7 hanging up in your walls. But you do have the same responsibility to wash your home and your wife in the water of the word of God. Paul continues in verses 28 through 31. I told you he hangs out with husbands in this verse than he do, more than he does with wives. And I think it just goes to show the weight that we have as husbands. Verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So, uh, husbands, uh, while wives have one model in their submission, uh, we have two models uh, in the way that we ought to love our wives, Jesus, uh, and then Paul turns it to ourselves. We ought to love our wives the way that we love our own bodies. Well, what does Paul mean by that? Well, I think it's pretty simple. When we're hungry... We eat. Uh, when, we're, when we're thirsty, we drink. And when we're tired, we go to bed. And when we get a man cold, we have our wives do everything for us. <laughs> and when we break a bone, we bring it to a doctor and we mend it. In other words, husbands, we don't neglect and we don't crush and we don't uh, dis... Um, we do not disengage from our own bodies when our own bodies are in need of something. And so Paul says, likewise, the way that you pay attention to yourself so much, the way that you love yourself so much, the way that you nourish and cherish your own body, uh, do the same for your wife. So it's not enough, husbands, to merely provide financially or spiritually for your wife, but you're to be providing and engaged and not neglecting any area of your wife's life. Uh, so if it's emotional, uh, if it is a conversation, uh, if it is time, whatever it might be, if it's spending less time on your phone, spending less time at your job, spending less time uh, with your hobbies or whatever you think you're going to become a pro at in like five years, whatever that means, that means your wife is supposed to get all of your time, does not get the leftovers. Because the analogy here that Paul is saying is, look, when your body needs something, you tend to it pretty quick. We all know this to be true. We've all been hangry before, right? We all know what it's like to have to listen to our bodies. And so Paul says, in the same way, do that for your wife. And it's not, this, this imagery that Paul gives us isn't even divorced from Jesus. Again, we can't really get away from Jesus in the way that we love our wives, right? Because he says here that even though you're supposed to love your wife as your own body, he says, guess what? Jesus loved his wife as he loved his own body. And his body is the church. Paul writes in verse 30, because we are members of his body. And then he quotes Genesis 2.24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. While we recognize the quote here in Genesis 2.24 in verse 31, uh, it's interesting to note uh, that uh, some, most Bibles and commentators here have in verse 30, there's an echo of Genesis 2.23. In Genesis 2.23, as, as Jesus, as we are members of his body, that echoes Adam, 
the woman being removed from his body. And then the man looks at Eve and sings, This at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. While the, in other words, while the gospel may have first been declared in Genesis 3.15, you know that curse that God put on the serpent and said, the offspring of this woman will crush your head. Everything that you just uh, did, I'm going to undo and redeem and make better. While the gospel might have been declared in Genesis 3.15, um, I think it's interesting to note that the gospel was first sung by the first husband and the first Adam to his bride. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And Paul says this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And so you might ask, well, how is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh an echo of the gospel? Because Paul says that marriage ceremony that took place in Genesis and that confession that Adam made to never, uh, to never be apart from his wife and illustrates it as him being a part of, her being a part of his body and, and God taking her out of Adam's body. In other words, Paul says that was always meant to point to the gospel. If marriage is a reflection or to mirror the gospel, that means God had the gospel in mind in the first marriage ceremony. And so if that is true, there is a reason why, and this is, this is significant here, there's a reason why a divorce, affairs, Letting your eyes wander uh, to, on your phones or on your laptops or looking at whatever you want to look at, husbands, wives, there's a reason why all of that is absolutely devastating to marriage because it preaches a false gospel. Husbands, if you want to leave your wives outside of the basis of death or adultery, go ahead, you're going to preach a false gospel. Wives, if you want to try to usurp and dominate and be over your husband or, or, or even leave him outside of any of those bounds, go ahead. You're going to preach a false gospel. You're not just going to preach a false gospel to your family, but you're going to preach a false gospel to your church family. Because what you're saying is that I can leave anytime I want. And, my, and if the marriage is supposed to represent Jesus and his church, that means Jesus can just leave his bride whenever he wants to. When something better comes along. Right, when someone's less messy to deal with. When it's not hard or difficult. So when it comes to marriage, it's, it's, not about, it's not merely about duty. It's not merely about it's the right thing to do. It's the ethical thing to do. It's the cultural thing to do. Uh, our marriages, and then, so our marriages is a gospel issue. It is a matter of the gospel. That's why marriage is such a big deal. That's why homosexual unions is such a big deal. That's why affairs in the church is such a big deal. And that is why divorce in the church is such a big deal, because the gospel is a big deal. Your marriages are meant to mirror the faithfulness and the beauty and the goodness and the commitment that Jesus has to his bride. Gosh, we spend so much time looking at the world, and, and look, I, I get it. Marriage is definitely being assaulted uh, by the unions that are now legal, but marriage is being even more assaulted by the stuff that we allow to happen in the walls of our own church. Amen. Husbands, what kind of gospel do you want to preach to your wife and your kids and your neighbor? Wives, 
What kind of gospel do you want to preach to your kids, to your neighbors, to your church? And this is why it's so vital for us to embrace and not to reorder the roles that have been given to both wife and husband. That's why I spent so much time here in the beginning trying to describe and explain what the submission looks like. Because, again, as wives, as you submit to your husband, as they're acting imperfectly, of course. By the way, none of this is going to happen perfectly. None of this is going to happen. Some of you guys walked in this morning already failed at this. You want to know how I know? Because I've walked in here already failing at this. Right? So this is not, I'm not saying wives submit to your husbands perfectly. Paul's not saying submit to your wives perfectly um, or husbands love your wives perfectly. But he is saying look to he who is perfect and full of grace and full of power and strength to be able to enable you to be able to live out this countercultural standard and life that he has given to us. Uh, Wives, as you submit to your husbands, you're saying Jesus is worth my submission. To be a Christian means to submit to another authority outside of me. Husbands, as you give yourselves up, as you give your time, your emotion, your spiritual insight, your life to your wife, you are saying that Jesus gave all of that to us. There is a beautiful gospel dynamic happening here. And for any man to separate or disorder or change or reinterpret what Paul is doing here is to undo the fabric of the gospel. I have often told my friends and my wife uh, that I think marriage will be one of the strongest evangelistic methods to come. Really do. Uh, For the world to see families in 20, 30, 40 years, despite difficulties, despite um, all the hardship, despite our sin nature wanting us to uh, break out and fight for our own independence, our own uh, individuality, right? To, for the world to see a man and a woman continue to love each other is going to be a segue into gospel conversation. Uh, when you're asked, husbands and wives, and I look around here and I can, I can tell there are some of you who've been together for 20, 30, 40 plus years. When you're asked what the key to a good marriage or what has kept you together for so long, don't give a cheesy one-liner. Don't give the uh, husbands, don't give the, oh, just do whatever she says and apologize every time, even if you're wrong. Wives, don't give a really silly, cheap answer uh, that says, you know, just keep your husbands in line or, you know, just do whatever. No, 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 no. When you're asked what has kept you together, use it to preach the gospel. Use it to give the greatest news that has ever been revealed to humanity. The greatest need. Because look, when people ask you that question, whether they're divorced or whether they're single, they don't need a good marriage. They need a good God. They don't need marriage advice in the sense that they need to have the best thing in the world or they need to have something that marriage is going to make them happen. They need to see that through the marriage, there's a God holding it together. So instead of responding with cheap, flimsy, uh, ridiculous uh, coffee cup lines, try responding this way. When in the future, a broken person says, how have you, two broken people, stayed together so long? Respond, because if he, who for the joy set before him, submitted to the Father's will and gave his life for me, 
because of he who bore my sins in his body on the tree for the forgiveness of sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness, who redeemed me, who reconciled me to God, free from condemnation through simple trust and faith in him, because he who is able to keep me from stumbling and to keep us from stumbling and to present us blameless before him in the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Jude 24 through 25. Preach the gospel when you're asked how your marriage has worked. And share that. Because that is the only message we have to give. And that is the message by which your marriage was designed to communicate. And let that be a pointer to the gospel. And friends, I pray that you would know that there's abundant grace in all of this. I couldn't have just said and preached what I just preached if I didn't know there was a good God behind it all who is for us, right? I could not do what I'm doing now if I didn't know that there was a good God standing right in the middle between Anna and I to say, I am for you both. And I am for you having a good marriage, but more than that, I'm for you being before me blameless and spotless with great joy. And so if you're thinking, man, I have failed in a hundred different ways at this, welcome to the club. So have I. So has anyone who's ever managed this since the first uh, wedding after Genesis chapter 3. It's just an invitation into the grace of God. So let your marriages mirror the gospel because that's what they were designed to do. And if you're single or if you're widowed, you too also have a place in all of this. You have a, a husband who will never, ever leave. And who can't forsake. And you too can be a model of how this love and this submission looks like. You have a ministry. And so let the gospel reign and be the thing that shines out the most. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that there's something better. There's something better than the things that you have set up to point to the better. And Lord, we thank you that through all of our failings and all of our uh, awkwardness and difficulty and inconsistency, you are still for us. No matter what marriage, uh, no matter who, what marriage has gone through what, or or how difficult it is, or or even how the church is, or even how kind of awkward we are sometimes, Lord, thank you that you are sufficient. Your grace is sufficient, no matter how many thorns and thistles come into our life, into our marriages, into our families, into our relationships, and into our churches. God, I pray that we would be gospel people. That we would be those who point in everything to the gospel. And may we know that our marriage and that our lives, everything is a gospel issue to those who have been saved. And our message is on the line. And our God is for us. May we remember these things and may we go in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus growing in both. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. 
To learn more about Faith Community Church, you can find us online at FCCSOBO.org or on our Facebook page by searching Faith Community Church. As always, God loves you, we love you, and we hope you have a wonderful week.